You are listening to the Zookeeper Stories Podcast with your host, Matthew Price. The goals of this show are to share the stories of animal care professionals around the world, give advice on how to get to the field, and share information that will help out new zookeepers. One of the most common questions people in our field are asked is, how did you get your job? I hope to shed some light on that question and many more by investigating the origin stories of the people on the front lines of the animal care world, the zookeepers. Welcome back to the Zookeeper Stories podcast, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know we had a break uh, last week, had some trouble with some scheduling. Real life gets in the way of everybody sometimes. So uh, we're back here after a two-week break, and I'm with one of my close personal friends, Ann Knutson. She's been a keeper for nine years. Six years has been at the San Diego Zoo, I believe. Five years? Five years. Five years. Um, so uh, we're going to talk to her today. This is our first bird keeper on the show ever. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, she has quite a story career. She's a San Diego native, but has also worked at a zoo in Texas and also at the Sedgwick County Zoo in Kansas. And she's also the AZAC president. So I'm going to hand it over to her now. And, uh, and the first thing I like to ask my guests is, you know, how did you come to fall in love with animals? And, you know, at what point did you know you wanted to work with them as a career? Well, I think... Pretty much as soon as I, I've just always had a connection with animals. Um, I think most zookeepers would probably say that. Growing up, my grandfather lives up in San Jose in the hills in Los Gatos. And he, which I know isn't necessarily the best thing to do, but he would always feed the deer and the raccoons um, and the wildlife and the birds there. And so all the wildlife was you know, accustomed, accustomed to him and getting up close and, um, by association. So was I, and kind of, that was, you know, my first kind of up close, you know, feeding and kind of just having wildlife around. And then my other grandfather, um, was a body surfer and in love with the ocean and pelicans. He was named, uh, his nickname was pelican. (laughs) And (laughs) so you know, whenever I was with him, and he lived in San Diego, so I spent a lot of time with him, you know, we'd go out and watch the pelicans soaring and the birds, and he would tell me all about them. And so kind of from both of my grandparents' uh, fathers, I got that introduction, and you know, I just thought it was always normal to go out and stare at wildlife and (laughs) get taken away, you know, and (laughs) inspired by them. So then... um, I went to UCSD and got a biology degree and kind of like the typical college student, you know, went back and forth. And I went into college thinking I either wanted to do teaching or work with animals. And then by the time I was finishing college, I knew I wanted to work with animals, but I didn't know whether I wanted to do research or zookeeping. Those were my two options in my head to be happy. And so when I left college, I did some traveling and then, um, I applied to the zoo and of course didn't get, uh, or the San Diego zoo, didn't get any interviews, not even callbacks, nothing because you have to have, you know, three to four years experience. So I got a job or an internship bird banding with the Institute of bird populations for six months in Texas. And 
that's when I fell in love with birds. When I was banding, northern cardinals are pretty sassy. And so I'd catch all sorts of, you know, numbers of northern cardinals. But um, we take them, we get their measurements, band them, and release them. And some birds would, you know, fly away, turn around, and yell at me. Some <laughs> cardinals would jump up in my hand, turn around, yell at me, then fly away. Then I'd have some that would turn around, yell at me, bite me, will yell at me again, and then fly away, turn around and yell at me some more. And I love that you could just see their personalities in each one. Like, I didn't realize at that point that birds had so much personality. And that's when I fell in love with birds. I was just like, this is amazing, you know? Yeah, I, <laughs> so don't, much I don't think most people realize that even, you know, a group of birds together, like you can pick out different personalities within individuals within mm -hmm. that flock, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I didn't, you know, I knew different species had different personalities mm -hmm. and, you know, behaviors and stuff, but I didn't realize. And that Northern Cardinals, we just caught so many of them. I think it was just shown through like, oh, each one of these birds is completely different. And, and of course, they're super sassy. So <laughs> that helps too. <laughs> so that was in, the internship was in California and San Diego? No, that was in Texas. Okay. It was on Fort Hood, um, okay. which is an army base. And so... Um, I did that for six months, and at the end of that, I realized, which I know it's not exactly research, but it was a good intro to doing research. Yeah, of course. And so what I kind of learned in that was, A, it's awesome, and researchers are needed, but it's not for me because I love talking to people. <laughs> I love talking in general. Um, <laughs> and one of my goals is to make a positive impact on the world, you know, in my life, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and when you're a researcher, it takes years and years and years and years. And even then, you might publish a paper, you might have the most interesting, you know, outcome of your research, but it takes someone like zookeepers to make the difference, to share your research, to get people involved and like to make it, uh, inspiring basically yeah. yeah to connect people to your research and um and that's kind of when i was like okay zookeeping is what i want to do you know i want to make a difference and as a zookeeper you have that opportunity well for most zookeepers on a daily basis to reach out and affect somebody that's at the zoo um, and inspire them to make a change in their life to help the world basically so, <laughs> so how did you, let's back up just for a minute. So yeah. when you applied to your, in, you applied for an internship when you were in San Diego. So you applied yeah. to the one in Texas. Was that a difficult um, decision to leave your home and presumably your family and, and that kind of thing? Because I, I, I've been at, this is my fourth zoo that I've been at. Um, and I feel like one of the reasons why I've been successful is because I have had the ability to be mobile. You know, I've had, yeah. I had the ability to go to from move from San Francisco to Florida and move from Florida to Seattle and move from Seattle to San Diego. Whereas people with, you know, families or uh, maybe they, maybe financial, uh, you know, right out of college, you don't have your everybody's poor right out of college. Yeah. <laughs> uh, zookeepers continue to be poor, but yeah, um, <laughs> we're always poor. Um, but uh, was that a difficult thing to leave your family, especially to go to an internship that was presumably not paid, or was it paid? Um. So they paid for my living expenses gotcha. basically. Um. And it wasn't hard because in my, well, there's a couple things with that, but in my mind, it was a short term, six months, you know, I'm going, 
gonna, you know, in my, when I didn't understand the way the world worked very well, <laughs> I was going to go for six months, get all this experience and come back and get a job, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so I never, I didn't think it wasn't scary to me. And truthfully also I had, that was like a number of things in that have been changing. Like, so I played water polo in college and my junior year, I decided to quit. And that was like the biggest life changing moment. Like people are like, what are the most important, you know? And I'm like quitting water polo. And they're like, what? You know, cause that sounds so negative, but it just showed me like, it made me realize like you need to do what makes you happy basically. Yeah. And so, um, and sometimes it's hard, you know, to like, but I had also been taking, you know, from there I went into this internship, uh, not internship, sorry, study abroad in Southeast Asia. And that was the first time I'd left the country. And like, I just had been taking these crazy leaps, like, and just going with my gut basically. Was that after the internship or before? That was before. Okay. Yeah. So it was just like one of the, you know, I spent two and a half months in Southeast Asia. Then I came back for a summer and then I went and traveled through Europe for two and a half months. And so it was right mm. after that travel through Europe. So I was like, whatever, <laughs> I'm not nailed awesome. down anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, maybe Texas is a little less desirable than Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I, moving to Texas was the biggest culture shock of anywhere I've been. Yeah. Like, and probably because I expected it to be somewhat similar. I was just like, whoa, this is not <laughs> what I'm used to. You're in this little bubble in San Diego. And yeah, like, like oh. and, you know, I forget that San Diego is a big city. You know, in my head, it's like, oh, I just have my little town, you know. Right. And then when I moved to a real small town, I was like, oh, no, that's <laughs> very different. Okay, so, yeah. so you did your internship for six months, and did you come yeah. back to San Diego then, or was that when you applied for a job at the Austin at Zoo? The Austin Zoo. Yeah, so... Um, no, I was supposed to move back to San Diego and, um, two weeks before I was supposed to come back, I, um, adopted my dog or well, my last dog. And if I moved back to San Diego, she would have to go live with someone else until I figured out my living arrangements. And so I was just like, no, not doing it. I'm going to move to Austin. So... I called my family. was like, cancel everything. I'm not coming home. I'm moving to Austin where I didn't know anybody. I had nowhere to live. I had no job. And so, um, I, and this is crazy to me because at, this was before Craigslist craziness, you know, I just like found a place to live on Craigslist. I, um, with like a bunch of people I moved down there and then I probably almost found everything on Craigslist, actually. <laughs> Which now looking back, I'm like, oh, thank goodness I didn't die. Um, <laughs> and uh, I moved down to Austin. I probably had enough for one month's rent. And luckily, the Austin, I can't even remember exactly how I found the job at the Austin Zoo. But, um, you know, anyone with animal experience, they were just like, yep, yeah. you're on, you know. Yeah. And I worked uh, there for, I think, about six months, actually. But I had got a lot of experience working there. And was that in the bird department? 
No, because they have, I worked everything there. And they, it was more of a rescue than a, you know. I was going to say, I didn't even know that Austin had a zoo. I know Dallas and Fort Worth and I didn't even know Austin had one. Yeah, it's more, yeah, it's definitely a rescue and. um, But open to the public? Yeah. Okay. So they, but they have a lot of stuff there. Um, They do have birds. They have tigers, lions, bears, um, primates. They don't have uh, like great apes or anything mm-hmm. like that, but lots of different primates. Um, so what kind of stuff did you work with there? Everything. Everything. Yeah. And actually, mostly I, towards the end, I worked mostly with the big cats because um, I work hard. <laughs> like it was really hard. I mean, we were taking it and it's crazy. I think you can like when I tell you the numbers, um, you know, we had something like 10 tigers, you know, 12 lions, bobcats, mountain lions. We're taking care of uh, brown bears. No, not brown bears. Black bears. Sorry. Um, I can't remember what else was on the carnivore string. That's but a lot we had of lions to, and tigers. Yeah, we had to take care of all those. Plus, we had to do our own butcher work. Oh, wow. And stuff. Yeah. So, like, it was a crazy long day. And when I was working there, uh, part-time was anything under 38 and a half hours. <laughs> so, oh, of course. <laughs> was, so, you were at 38 I was part-time. Every, week, every week you were at 38. Yeah, yeah exactly. But it was, it was really, really good experience. Because, yeah, I mean, I worked with reptiles. All across the board. I worked with everything. And that's when I decided I would never want to be a primate keeper. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, I know I've done my time with primates and I know I'll never go back. So, (laughs) yeah, I know. And there's, I mean, I love them and I, you know, will always want to help with conservation efforts with them and everything. But man, I don't, I don't know how they. For me, it's, it's so hard. This is only part of it, but for me, it's so hard to be able to, like most animals, birds too, you look at them, you're like, it wants to eat, it wants shelter, it wants water, whatever, you can know that. Mm-hmm. But you look at like a gorilla or an orangutan and you can tell it's like looking back at you, it's mm-hmm. problem solving, it's figuring stuff out. Yeah. That's just, that's really hard for me. So. Yeah. I don't, and I, I guess <laughs> my biggest thing was just that, <laughs> this is so ridiculous, they... There was this one capuchin, which I don't like capuchin monkeys because <laughs> this one named Rusty. And every day I went in there, he would pick up a piece of food and hit me right between the eyes. Like the best thing you've ever seen. Every day. <laughs> and every day I'd be like, oh, you know. And so I'd walk in like covering up between my eyes and I would put down the one tray and just in that transition, like that two-second transition of like, what? He would get me somehow. And I was just like, ooh, rusty. And he really got me. And that my last day that I worked there, I walked, uh, I think I, they were like, oh, you have to go see about rusty. And I was like, yeah, but he's not getting me today, you know. And uh, and then when I was outside the cage. He threw it through the bars of the cage and got me between the eyes. I swear to goodness. And I was so angry. I was like, no way. And so I picked up a piece of food and I threw it at him, which is really bad. So I'm not like to hurt him, but it's just like, I was going to say, instead of a goodbye, you gave him a a finger on the way out. (laughs) But so he caught that piece of food and he just turned and looked at me and I was like, 
no and like I if it wasn't I wish I had it in slow-mo and I'm like putting my hand to block between my eyes and it just was like because you know it's coming back yeah again. and he yeah. threw it and it just like boom and I was like oh my god that's incredible oh rusty man <laughs> yeah and I think that's like that should be like how you choose what kind of keeper you're gonna be because I feel like all the primate keepers would be like how do you not love that primate? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, course, like, yeah. and I'm like, oh, it's so frustrating because oh. that's yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Uh, okay, so six months there. Then yep. what? Then what happened next? Then, well, while I was working there, I met my now husband, and he got a job up in Wichita, which was funny because I had been looking at. The Sedgwick County, oh no, not the Sedgwick County Zoo. Well, kind of, but there's Friends University there. And at the time, there was only two schools that offered a bachelor's mm. in zoo science. And Friends University is one of them. And so when he got that job, I was like, oh. And he asked me to go, which we don't, we'd only been dating for six months. So it's kind of fast. But sure. he said, you know, oh, do you want to come with me? And he says now, and I'm, sure he, this is true that he was just joking and I was like <laughs> yeah I'll go <laughs> that's crazy so I followed him up there and I went to um friends university for a semester and in that they give prior or they used to man I feel old because I keep saying <laughs> back in the day <laughs> they gave you know they you would they wouldn't necessarily give priority to the students at friends university but you would hear about jobs before anybody else did okay so, um, so is Friends University like, is it a regular college or is it an animal specific college like Moore Park or Santa Fe? Or... It's just a, it's a regular university okay. that so they have a was partnered Great. with the zoo. Okay. Yeah. So they had the zoo science and then, um, yeah, it was a really cool program, which I heard now it's changed due to certain things. But, um, so yeah, so I got, I got a job. Well, actually, and it was really frustrating. Like I had an interview to work in the commissary there. Um, and they were like, I'm sorry, you're too qualified. Like, we, you know, and you're like, just give me a job. Shouldn't That's I be the one I to want. judge if I'm overqualified or <laughs> yeah. not? I mean. It was so frustrating, which granted, like, I I was good friends with the commissary. Um, and noted is that I interviewed with the commissary curator, I guess, but also the bird curator for that job. And... So, um, they told me I was overqualified, but then I got a job in the farms there, which was also really great experience. Um, and I was part-time once again, I should do quotations part-time <laughs> because it turned into a semi full-time, but part-time role kind of thing. Sure. But, um, I worked there for a year and then, and in that year, the bird curator, uh, kept coming to me and being like, we want to hire you. Like we want you in the bird department. And so it was, you know, it was just that's awesome to hear. so fortunate. Yeah. yeah like, uh, it was really frustrating because, yeah. but it was it's like, well, then just, just do it then. Yeah. I, I'm here. I want to go. You want me. What's yeah. the problem? <laughs> exactly. So anyways, and then after a year of working in the farms, um, I got full time in the bird department there working the penguin exhibit. So the farms is that like what it sounds like a farm like livestock and yeah it was it was really interesting because they um I learned so much there uh 
It's the children's zoo was mm -hmm. like a farm. So they had a lot of livestock, um, but it, actually they have the largest collection of rare breeds, I think in North America. Oh, wow. Like huge. And like one crazy, of the, the crazy chickens and stuff with yeah. like the mohawks and like, yeah, yeah and cows yeah. and stuff. And um, I, one of the most, until probably I came to the San Diego zoo, one of the most endangered animals I'd worked with was actually a cow. It was the, uh, goodness, now I forgot her name. Anyways, but there's only, you know, 200 left of them sure, or something sure. like that. But it was really interesting and, you know, kind of another, I learned so much there, not only just about rare breeds and how important they are to uh, really farming in general and our food source, <laughs> like more people should be, should look into that um that's for the where does your food come podcast that everybody yeah. should be listening to <laughs> and maybe we can record later in the summer or something <laughs> exactly um but also because you're so hands-on there and they're still dangerous i mean they're they can oh, yeah. really hurt oh, you yeah. you know oh, yeah. um and you know we're still so hands-on with them and with netting and hurting like i learned so much there that a lot of, you know i used to get called all the time to catch things like mammal, like mammal keepers would call me bird keepers, you know, like, can you come help us? And like, yeah, sure. Cause you just got so much experience there. It was great. So I've been so fortunate over my career because, you know, moving to Kansas, I thought, you know, what kind of zoo could Kansas have? <laughs> but I, that Cedric County Zoo is so amazing. Yeah. And I um, learned so much while I was there and gained a lot of great, um, uh, I don't want to say networking, but friends, but I learned so much from great people within the industry. It was That's very awesome. fortunate. So, so did you continue on in the school then after you got the job? Did you go and get a second bachelor at that point, like in animal science? Oh, yeah. or... mm, no. So what I was going to continue because they said, oh, if you get straight A's, you'll get our highest scholarship. And I was like, awesome. Let's do <laughs> this. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> This is, this is nothing. <laughs> no, so I got straight A's. And so at the beginning of the next semester, I went in and it was 16000 a year. So, um, was which, the cost of the school? Yeah. Okay. Which I know doesn't sound like a ton, but like but that's no. just the school, not anything else, you know? Yeah. And especially and, considering you know, six months ago, you were in Austin and had just barely a month's rent. Yeah, then, so. exactly. Yeah. And I already had a bachelor's degree. Yeah, so. so why am I taking, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, so I went into the counseling. I was like, okay, I got my straight A's. Like, what's my scholarship? And they're like, oh, it's our largest one. $4,000. I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> I mean, once again, I guess I wasn't based in reality sure. again, but I was thinking like, full, full scholarship. Yeah, of course, right. <laughs> you know, I'll get a second bachelor's if I don't have to pay for it, you know? And when they told me that, I was like, yeah, I'm out. I'm, out. I'm yeah. done. I've yeah. got a job. My foot's in the door. That's all I needed. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. it was a really great program for new people coming in, so... Okay, so getting started with birds in Sedwich County Zoo, what what did you start working with there? Like what, I guess, what did they put you with? And, uh, you know, talk, just talk yeah. about your time at Sedwich County Zoo a little bit. Um, at the Sedgwick County Zoo, I started working in the penguin exhibit, which had just been open 10 months prior to me um, starting there. And so there were still a lot of, like, 
I don't want to say unresolved issues there, but like, um, oh, and we did all of our own life support system management. Okay. So, you know, backwashing, doing the water, all that stuff. That's really good experience. Yeah. That's something I would like to have and, and don't. So yeah. Not, awesome. and not, especially these days. Most people, most rare. people in zoos don't do that. But mm -hmm. if you're in the aquarium world, like then you, you do, do all of that stuff. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to transition between zoos to aquariums. Like I, yeah. I applied to the Monterey Bay Aquarium several times, but I never even got like a sniff, but you know, it's like, you would think, I don't know, I guess I thought that moving between the two worlds would be pretty easy. You're taking care of animals, taking care of animals, right? Yeah. But it's not. It's, <laughs> it's not easy at all. So. It's very hard. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, no. And I, um, so yeah, so it was really fun for me, and i now learning more and more, that I really like making things streamlined. Mm -hmm. So basically, I was tasked with making it so anybody... Well, really, my curator at the time said, anybody off the street could come in and do this. Like, if you, you know, if we all fell off the earth, they could come in and still run the penguin sure. exhibit, you know. So put it in protocols, like write it all down, figure out the easiest way to do things, all this stuff. And that was such good experience. And it was really fun. Um, and I uh, did that for that whole area. And while I was doing that, I would also get pulled to the other two areas. So the way it was originally set up was there were three areas, Australia, South America, and the jungle birds, and then penguins. And everyone stayed to their area for the most part. And then when the penguin area, when <laughs> basically I like, when things settled down, because it wasn't the brand new, you know, exciting exhibit, and we had all these protocols and, you know, in place, so everything was streamlined and it went faster, mm -hmm. they would start pulling us to these other areas, which was actually really, really great experience because once again, I got to work with Australia, South America birds, which were, you know, parrots, uh, ducks, you know, geese, um, I don't even know, just like all across the board there, sure. but then also to the jungle side of things, which was um, an indoor aviary. So I learned kind of how to, you know, because that's very different learning yeah, sure. and um, management techniques. But passerines and big storks and cranes and, you know, everything, hornbills on that side of things. So in my time at Sedgwick County Zoo, I ended up learning and getting to work with so many different birds in so many different uh management styles like open aviary with people walking through you know yards with mixed species like all across the board i got to do that and so it was really really i can't even begin to tell people like how fortunate i was to end up there it was just really yeah, amazing that's one of the great things about the smaller zoos that i've worked at too is that you know, you're, you're not, like, San Diego Zoo is very compartmentalized, you know, bird keepers work yeah. birds, mammals work, bam, keepers work mammals, reptile keepers work reptiles, but in most smaller zoos, you know, you work everything. Mm -hmm. um, so, the fact that you were able to do that, I mean, even just across bird species, I'm sure here, like, it's still, I mean, we have d divisions within divisions here. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's really amazing. So, how long were you then there at, at Sedgwick in total? Um, five, six years. I was okay. there for six years, which was, 
you know, my original plan once again was to only to be here. there. Yeah, right. to only be there for a couple of years, then they come back. And here. was that was that because you were just enjoying it so much there, or it had to do also with your husband's job and that kind of thing? Yeah, it had to do for a few years. I didn't want to come back to San Diego because um, it's very expensive to live here. Yes, <laughs> cannot buy a house here if you're a zookeeper. Yeah, you're exactly. Zookeeper. And you know, growing up, I just remember <laughs> all my family just working all the time, you know, so you're working and not, and, and don't get me wrong, wrong, my family, we enjoyed living here, but it just seemed like, you know, you had to work, 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 work for just this tiny amount of, you know, playtime to enjoy it because it's so expensive. And so I was just like, no, I don't want to move back, you know, but then I had a child (laughs) (laughs) and that kind of changed everything um and with my husband's family in texas it was like every vacation was either texas or san diego which granted san diego is a nice place to go on vacation but you know sometimes you want to get out of there so that's when i started looking again at coming back to the san diego zoo which um i didn't even get you know, an interview until I had four years at said, you know, so you had applied, you had applied experience. previously, like with, mm-hmm. with zero to three years of experience in, yeah. and yeah, and never got it, never back got even a call back. Yeah. And so I didn't even get a call back until I had four years experience. Okay. And then even then, um, and at that point I was, you know, focused on getting a job at the San Diego Zoo. So I went, I came here for a conference for the AZAC conference that San Diego, AZAC San Diego hosted. And I, I told all my family and friends, I'm going to be in San Diego for a week, but you will not see me. Don't hear from me. I am there to network and get a job. Like that's my focus. So I love you, but you will not see me, you know? (laughs) And, um, I, so I came to the conference, I met my now manager, um, at and, the conference. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cause I did the one day incubation or okay. two day incubation workshop, the yeah. mini workshop. Yep. And I just made it like my goal. Like I just went out and talked to them and I said, Hey, I've applied. Like we had an interview, like this is my face because I think it makes a big <laughs> oh, difference, sure. you know? It absolutely does, yeah. Um, and I talked to a few of the other keepers and I said, hey, what do I need to do? You know, how do I get in here? And then, so that was in August and one month later, a job opened up and I applied for it, interviewed, and by October, I got the call that I was, I got the job and was coming out here and like, I don't know. It still amazes me because I'm like, man, I was so set on getting that job, you know, (laughs) and I can't believe it actually worked. (laughs) If there's one thing I know about Ann Nutson is when she puts her mind to something, uh, she usually accomplishes it. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, okay. okay, So now we're at San Diego Zoo and now, and uh, you work for the bird department here and you work for the avian propagation center. Yes. Um, and I know that that has to do with raising baby chicks, but that's really all I know. I, all I know about it. Yeah. So, uh, talk a little bit about what exactly you do at the avian propagation center. And like, I actually had a question, um, um, 
last week from someone that listener to the show out of the blue, I, I, which I didn't even know nice. there was more than like five listeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but they asked um, us to talk about more about like what we do like on a day-to-day basis, what like, like a typical day looks like for a zookeeper. And I'm sure your day looks very, very different than mine yeah, for the most part. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, so, so I, I would like to hear that too. So, you know, talk about in general about what you guys do up there and then maybe a little bit more specifically about what like a typical day looks like. So, yeah, so we at the Avian Propagation Center raise the chicks of birds that cannot raise them themselves for one or another reason. Usually it tends to be that they are proven poor parents um, because that's the way they don't have handbooks. So (laughs) some birds just can't do it. Um, And or they might a lot of times we get birds that chicks that are a little older and we will pull them right before fledge because they're fledging into a dangerous situation. So um but we do that for the safari park and the zoo. Okay, so stuff from the safari park comes down here. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do condors, and we tend to not do any vultures either if they need to be hand-raised, just because the, the condor their, their group has it. Do that? Yeah. Okay. Um, which they're amazing because they yeah. don't they do all their work without talking, which is insane to me, <laughs> or at least being very quiet. And once again, <laughs> not I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> you mean talking to like just who? making human noises? <laughs> oh, like they have to be very quiet when they're yeah. working with the because they're such a sensitive species. Yeah, Got you it. should. Uh, so you can't be like, oh, you're so cute. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, because now that condor is not going to eat, and you just yeah, yeah, okay. or like you know, because their condors are getting. Huh put out into the wild and they can't have right right right, any, right or it could be i should say so they don't you don't want them to get used to people and yeah the noises like, like oh man and that's why really then, i know i'm totally jumping the gun here but that's why they um they do the hand feeding with the little condor puppets, with the puppets right exactly yeah so for the listeners that probably don't know because i didn't really know that much when we hand raise condors they actually hand feed them with little puppets that look like condor moms mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and that's so the baby gets used to the condor feeding yeah. them and not a person feeding them, presumably. Yeah. Right? And they would never, they never really see people, you know. Um, oh, so it's like a box and they reach the... The puppet through. So they never... Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's it's interesting. Really. So yeah. are the people that are doing the um, the feeding, then are they like looking at a, like a monitor or something so they can see where they're going? Are they just kind of like feeling or by... I don't know. I actually, I went and took a tour up there once, which was really stressful because once again, you can't talk. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I'm good. I'm like holding my breath the whole time. <laughs> but I have like 75 things I want to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, which most are probably inappropriate. So I guess it's good. <laughs> um but yeah, I think they have curtains so they can kind of peek through, but don't hold me to Anyway, that. sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah. So uh, what <laughs> else do you do at the at the APC? Just kind of stuff like that in general? or Yeah, like so we do incubation and the hand rearing part. Um, just in a nutshell, that's what we do. And then we take care of the older birds. Okay. Um, we do have breeding strings. So we do have adult birds that, and those are usually super rare, you know, sensitive birds that, um, aren't on exhibit that we really, you know, need. You're trying to propagate the species, not yeah. necessarily using them for exhibiting. Yeah. And a lot of times they're getting rotated, you know, like they can go out on an exhibit and stuff, but if one pair is having a problem, 
out on exhibit with people, then we'll bring them in and see if, you know, that helps just having more of a quiet, you know. Yeah. Um, So my specific job is in uh, the brooder room, which is where we raise the chicks. And my job is very different from a normal keeper's job. Um, I do a lot, a lot of computer work. um, And we, you know, are in our room. We work very closely with each other because there's five of us in there. So a lot of times people come in and they're like, oh, you have the best job. Like, I want to try this, you know. And then they'll come in and work and they're like, nope, this is not for me. (laughs) You better really like those people. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all very close. Like, I love my coworkers and I'm very fortunate. Um, So... My typical day, well, and that's the other thing. We have it like an on season and off season. So my typical day right now is I go in at, what time? well, 5.30 because it just makes it run smoother if I can get in and get incubation done and then get some of the either. If we have a crop feeder, they, you know, like a parrot. They take long. You want to get them fed as soon as possible because they need, you know, four hours to clear sort of thing. So what's a, before we move on, what's a crop feeder? I know, know, but I (laughs) I guarantee you that almost no one listening (laughs) knows what that means. Yeah. Um, so like parrots, they have. I don't This is really hard. I, it's hard to describe. No, I know. I'm like. <laughs> it's like a pre-digestion system before yeah, it goes basically. into the stomach, basically, where the birds, um, they store all the stuff they ate for a little bit. They digest it a little bit and it goes into the stomach. Yeah, basically. Like yeah. Kind of, yeah. And so, um, for example, 5.30, go into incubation, take all the temps, check all the temps in, on, of the eggs and humidity. Um, make sure the machines are turning the eggs because eggs need to be turned. Um, and then we have what we call an action sheet. So those are eggs that are within three days of hatching. And we'll candle them, which is holding the egg up to light and mm-hmm. looking at the development. So you can see veins and sometimes, and a lot of times you can see the chicks moving. It's really, it's like an ultrasound for an egg, basically. Um, do that, make sure no one's hatched or, um, yeah. And then from there, we go over to the brooder room. And we first go through, check all the temps on the AICUs, which are technically avian intensive care units, but it's just like a box that keeps them warm. Sure. I mean, simple terms. Like, um, check all their temps, check all the chicks, get their weights, and then we put it, take all those weights and we put it into an Excel file that it's very intense. And when people, when... Nine times out of ten when I show people the files we're using, the first words are like, I have a headache. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't even know how to use a computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we joke about, but there are quite a few older keepers that have never been on a computer. I was going to uh, say, yeah. there's a lot of people that are just like, what? <laughs> but it's really nice because it has it basically set up. So we put in the chick's weight and it calculates out the percent, usually percent weight gain. You know, yeah. Um, it takes that weight, puts it into a graph. Well, we have another file that puts it onto a graph, so we see 
the trend, you know, we want to see the same basic trend for each species we're doing. And then um, it also has the percent intake or so sorry, the percent of food we want to feed the chick of its body weight. So, ah, this is so hard to explain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sorry, That's okay. the percent intake, the percent of the chick's body weight of food that it needs to be fed over a certain number of feeds for the day. And so the nice thing about that is that it calculates it out for us. So, and then you just go and set it up for however many feeds for the day based on what the computer program tells you. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, we have to, you know, you keep an eye on it. And yeah, yeah. Most of us have been in there enough to know like, oh, that's a normal, right. you know, if we have like a little three gram chick and it's getting one gram <laughs> each feed, we're like, oh, something's wrong. Right. <laughs> um, so then we write that all because usually like, so for example, right now, we have probably 20 chicks that we're taking care of. Oh, and, just random species, various yeah, species. Yeah, okay. and they're all, you know, they all have a different target. They're all on, they're not all on different schedules, but most of them, you know, they're on different schedules. They're getting fed at different times. So we also have a feed schedule, basically, and it has it written out every bird, every, you know, at what time sort of thing. And we have it for every half an hour of the day. So, we're, so, so oh, is that does that schedule include past our normal work hours of you know six to two thirty or five to yeah. two or five to two for you? Yeah, five thirty to two for you. Does, so does our other keepers that have to come in overnight and do you know round the clock feeds? So typically, luckily we don't do overnight. Okay. Um, most birds stop when the light goes out. Okay. <laughs> Like when their so, light goes out, they don't need to eat anymore. They're, they're done, they're yeah. They're asleep for the day. Okay. Yeah, so for the most part, usually we're there. We have a second shift that comes in at 10. So someone is there from, you know, 6 a.m., let's say, to 6.30. So okay. for 12 and a half hours. But right now, for parrots, they don't stop when the light goes out. So we have someone that comes in at 2 and works till 10.30. So we have... Someone there from 5.30 till 10.30, basically. Got it, got it, okay. Yeah. Um, so then we go through and feed everybody, uh, all the little chicks that, you know, still need to be hand-fed. Then we still have our older chicks that are um, just kind of learning how to eat on their own, so we have to go through and weigh them, make sure they're doing well. A lot of times we just have to prompt them, which means just getting them to look down at their food kind of thing. You know, like, don't <laughs> yeah. forget. Oh, it's right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're standing in it. Um, and then we, our oldest chicks, which are down below, who are eating on their own, but they just haven't been uh, shipped out to their new homes yet, whether that's in the zoo or the park or to another institution. Um, and most of our little chicks are getting fed anywhere from... 13 times a day to, you know, five times a day. So basically we just keep going on that, that schedule. cycle. Yeah. 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 Um, in our chart that does the food calculations, we're recording every feed, the amount like that it weighs in grams, whether they have a good feeding response, a poor feeding response, stuff like that. If they produce a fecal, um, do they get any vitamins? That's all recorded on our sheet and the temperature in their brooder sort gotcha. of thing. So it's a lot of computer work. It's a lot of, um, 
like fine, I guess I'm trying to describe to describe it, like fine motor skill kind of stuff. Not not like big, I'm going to clean yeah. this whole huge exhibit. I'm yeah. going to do a lot of stuff in this little brooder box. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's hard because I think, you know, we get teased a lot because people will come in and just see us on the computer. And for most keepers, being on the computer is like you're goofing around or right. something. And we're like, no, no. Only like, if you're an elephant <laughs> keeper at the San Diego Zoo. Oh. <laughs> Burn. You said that, not me. <laughs> we'll edit that out in post. <laughs> so yeah, it's a lot of uh, yeah record keeping, um, lots of facts, and then when it's the off season, that's usually the time where we go back through and pour over these uh, chick records. Sure, but, you know, figure for out each what you chick. did right, what what worked, what didn't work, mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Reevaluate for the following season. Yeah, and then fix our protocols, which is probably. I mean, I love raising chicks, but that's one of my favorite parts of the job is because it's so fine tuning and like, um, I mean, I've seen, we've made some huge successes and, you know, with raising chicks that have saved, you know, I don't want to say saved species, but saved species sure. in North America because yeah. we made, you know, one of the, my favorite birds is the purple tailed imperial pigeon and we only have three of them and the they were producing chicks and we kept having problems at day five and then at well basically at day five and so i looked at it and we had one chick that stayed at a hotter temperature for longer and did well and we had no problems and like that was an accident but we would have never known that happened if we hadn't kept these crazy right intense detail oriented what, what, notes you know what was the what, what was the problem that happened at day five we just uh, Started. they would stop producing, uh, uh, processing their yeah. crops. Okay. And so when they slow down, that's where we would have problems because, um, you know, I, you can't really put more in if not, nothing's going out kind of thing. And, um, and so, and we're talking like they were, we originally had them at 95 for two days, 94 for two days and 93 on day five. And because that one chick, we, you know, we made that accident, he was at 95 degrees for five days and he did well so even that one to two degree difference just in one degree that yeah. that makes a huge difference and yeah that's insane it is insane wow because i don't even i mean obviously you have systems in place to do that but like yeah. you walk in and you see one degree off and you're like that chick needs needs to get heated up one degree right now yeah I mean, I, I, that's, that blows my mind a little bit yeah so i mean that's what that's what i'm talking about it's like so one that one degree and so we were able to raise um well three more chicks and then that female died so we're then we only have two male adults and our three and three babies babies right one of them being female and so you're thinking like oh this is doom and gloom for this species right like why are you working so hard well it turns out we had this new connection with Jurong. And they have purple-tailed imperial pigeons. Jurong, what's that? Uh, it's oh. uh, Jurong Zoological Park in um, Singapore. And they shipped us new bloodlines, basically. So, like, we just that's saved amazing. that species. Yeah, that's amazing. a one-degree <laughs> change on the temperature. Wow. You know, like, it's insane. And that's the kind of stuff I just love. I love, you know, tweaking these little things and 
you know, seeing this huge difference kind of thing. It's really, really fun. Well, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned early on that you were, you were stuck between research and zookeeping, and this is kind of like the, the mesh of, of the two. Yeah. Like, it's the perfect, <laughs> so like you get to do both now. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I really, do, like, there's <laughs> two things I get really cheesy about. In general, zookeeping. Like, you heard me before. I think it is such an important job and such you can make such a change in the world like a positive one for all these animals and then also about my job <laughs> i love my job so you get a little I'm bit so less fortunate you get less of the like connecting people and kids with wildlife in your job right but so does that that ever weigh on you a little bit do you ever like miss being out and you know the main quote unquote the main zoo you yeah. know doing that kind of stuff keeper talks and you know all that stuff that most of us have to do <laughs> most of us, I should say, most of us get to do. Get to do. Yeah. I know, I was just going to say, hold on. No. Yeah. Um, it did at first. And then I, well, I should say by my job now, I kind of justify it in my head, I guess, um, in the sense that by what I do now, I'm creating healthy, beautiful birds that go out and inspire people later. Healthy, you know, happy, beautiful birds. Um, that go out on exhibit and inspire people. But also, that's, um, I guess I now do the public speaking side of things on my free time. Okay. And so that's kind of how I manage that. Because you're right, when I first started, I was like, I miss... Being out. Yeah, yeah. I miss talking. I miss, even though a lot of times you get those, you know, when I was doing <laughs> keeper talks with penguins every day, you know, you get that question that's like, uh, you know, why don't you want, why are you putting those bands on your penguins to keep them from flying? And you're like, oh no. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I'm mean. <laughs> we should have an entire, devote an entire episode of like several zookeepers just going around telling stories that guests, that guests do or say. Or, oh uh, man. Oh, I have so many. Yeah. Um, are you okay on time? I know we're in, we're, we're over right now, but I'll keep, if you're okay. Keep oh yeah. Going, I'm fine. Going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. there's like so. like 50 more things I want to ask you. Oh, yeah. As long as you have time. No, I'm good. Okay. Um, so, oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. Sorry. Well, okay, I think they have. A, I think we have a pretty good idea of what you do up there and what a typical day looks like. So you, um, let's talk, let's transition a little bit into talking about AZAC and oh, yeah. Bowling for Rhino since that's coming up. I definitely want to put that information out there for people. Um so you were, I know you worked at AZAC at, at the Sedgwick County Zoo as well, right? And you yes. ran some BFR programs, sorry, Bowling for Rhinos programs there yeah. as well. Yep. Um, and I remember actually your first meeting, uh, the first board meeting you ever had at the <laughs> AZAC here. Yeah. Because it was like my third or fourth meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like seeing you, I was like, oh, this girl's going to make some changes. I can tell right away <laughs> by some of the few things you've changed. And yeah. now you're the president of the chapter. Uh, so yeah. talk a little bit, I guess, about what, AZAC is, what they do, what their purpose is, and then especially uh, about Bowling for Rhinos, um, Mm -hmm. um, what's coming up pretty soon here. Yeah, so the American Association of Zookeepers is a national organization with chapters, individual chapters at different zoos. So to me, AZAC is a place for keepers to go kind of as a resource or an outlet for their passion. Because if there's one thing where we all are, it's passionate. And most of us have it overflowing. And we want to, for usually for a specific 
species, I feel like, or region or something, you know, like it gets pretty specific. But in general, we all are all so passionate about conservation of wildlife in general. And we don't always have an outlet for that side of it in zookeeping because we're we're working with animals every day we're talking with people but sometimes we just want to do more make like, a different make an actual difference with wild animals yeah with the wild exactly correct um and so that's what azac is to me is somewhere for keepers to go to pursue their pa- passion um for conservation and Bowling for rhinos is a great example of what keepers can do with that passion because that's how it started. It was keepers that wanted to raise money and um, help save rhino habitat, basically. And what I love even more about Bowling for Rhinos, besides all the amazing things, uh, work that is being supported by the money raised, and after some technical difficulties, <laughs> we're back. Uh, um, sorry, I forgot even where you were. But uh, talk a little bit, of, I guess, about what exactly Bowling for Rhinos is and what it does. And, you know, the, just the whole process of it, um, you know, mm-hmm. from from the homegrown grassroots stuff that every chapter does. Well, not every chapter. I'm sure not every chapter does it. But most chapters do uh, a Bowling for Rhinos project uh, every every year. Um, and then, you know, how that money gets to wherever it goes and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Bowling for Rhinos um, isn't actually always bowling, but the, all the money that goes, that is raised during these events for rhinos goes to four different, um, I don't want to say organizations, but conservation uh, organizations, let's say. One, the most funded of the funding goes to Lewa Wildlife Conservancy, which which is in Kenya. And they do amazing work. I could probably do a whole nother talk just on what <laughs> Lewa does because it's amazing and it's so beautiful. And I recommend everyone go there if you get a chance. Um, then another large portion goes to the International Rhino Foundation. Yeah. Um, That's in uh, Indonesia. Yep. And, uh, then another portion goes to the Cheetah Conservation Action Fund? for Cheetah, Okay. I think. Not the Cheetah Conservation Fund? No, I think it's Action for Cheetah. Okay. I should look that up, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, and then the last part of it goes into this Bowling for Rhinos conservation grant, basically, and, um... The math on that, what money goes to what, is a little, can be a little confusing, um, but 5%, no, 2%, gosh, my numbers are all messed up now. Anyways, Lewa gets the majority of it, but then it gets split up between the rest of them, and I want to say the conservation grant gets 2%, which is actually a very large amount now, because... It's getting to the point, and there are so many chapters that are raising money, that the overall in the nation, it's been raising close to or over 500000 each year, which the is The total insane. for all the chapters. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Which is awesome. Yeah. Um, the San Diego chapter 
has been raising close to 20,000 or above 20,000 for the last three years. Um, and that's uh that don't be don't be modest because that's a record right those are record setting years for this chapter yeah or close to it yeah definitely and we've been in the top three for the last in the country country sorry for the last four or five years i'm losing okay. track um and it's such a it's my favorite event of the year it's just so fun and i know the money is going a hundred percent of the profits proceeds Ever, all the money donated is going to these conservation organizations that do amazing work. And I have been fortunate enough to actually go to Lewa and see where the money is going to. And it's just amazing. And they have made such a difference in Kenya in general with conservation of rhinos. And the reason why you've gotten to go there is because you've raised the most money. Because yeah. once again... <laughs> What Anna Stetson wants to do, she does. And that includes raising the most money at BFR for several years in a row. And that's what it's going to be. And that's what happens, yeah. So you got, but you got to go to, didn't you get to go to Indonesia too? Uh, I'm going in July. Okay, so, so how many years in a row have you raised the most money now? Um, three? In the last three years? And how do you get your family and whoever else to continue to donate the most money to fund you to go to all these amazing places which i'm such yeah people you everyone can hate me after this but last year i was trying not to be the top fundraiser so hard and i think i think and i don't understand and this is something that like i always you know i'm like i have to try so hard to you know let people know I'm, I really am this passionate, you know, like this is I mean, what I love. And, and it's so funny because apparently it just shines through. Cause it like, does. I can see it on your face right now. And I'm sure everybody listening can just hear it in your voice. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Um, so I guess, you know, my friends and family just are so supportive and it's great. And I, I feel so happy because I've seen them make changes in their life just from like, me you know I mean, going on and on <laughs> I mean, that's what it's all about right it yeah exactly yeah. and so it's funny because i the first year i started you know fundraising i was just like hounding people all the time you're like please please donate you know and then now i just like put out a post and just say hey please donate and i get a huge response and it's great because i think people know that it's making a difference and they trust me and know like you know that i wouldn't do that if i didn't believe in it 100 percent, basically right. yeah so yeah yeah i don't know how you do all of the things you do you not only do you have children but you raise all this money for that stuff you go and play water polo last time i talked to you, you were still playing water polo yeah uh <laughs> azac president just incredible all of the things you you do like i don't i don't know i don't know how you have time for them all i feel like i don't have time yeah. for even half of the things that you do i don't do you sleep i mean i do i'm really good at sleeping actually <laughs> <laughs> and that's a top priority for me um yeah it's funny too because i feel and i think we probably all feel like this like we're just not doing enough and like i i have to tell myself because I do feel like, you know, every once in a while I'm just 
running myself ragged. I go, you need to calm so you down. Need to, you need like, to take some time for yourself <laughs> yeah, every now and you need then. To you slow know? down. Well, maybe your time, at your, that's when you get to go to Layla, right? That's your time. That's yeah, your, that's, that's my your, time. your me time, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and. Because uh, ASAC's a big, it's, I mean, I guess I don't know exactly how big the role of president is. I assume it's pretty large in terms of responsibilities. And I mean, I when I was on the board just for a small little social media officer <laughs> position, like I felt like I was overwhelmed at times. So I can't even imagine yeah. what it would be like for the for the president. I feel like I finally, this is my third year. You're pretty good at it now. Well, no, no, I wouldn't say I'm good at it, but I at least <laughs> feel like I can handle it. Handle the workload. <laughs> yeah, you figure out. Um, but we have such a large um, board right now of so many enthusiastic, passionate people that it really makes my job easier, a lot easier. Um, it's really great. And it's really inspiring to me to work with all these people, yeah. you know? Um, and it's been really great because, you know, I was doing the events fundraising mm -hmm. that combination which was you were doing both both which was so <laughs> tiring it was so i just so i just remember stuff. meetings like Anne's just like yeah i'll do that i'll take that i know yeah i'll take that and that's what I like, had are to you say. sure <laughs> i've had to like take shows delegate like, say out right? no yeah. say no delegate somebody <laughs> just else say no and just i always have to remind myself like um you know we did a pints for preserva preservation another our third one a few months ago and yep. it didn't raise as much money well you guys got kind of screwed honestly like. on that one i remember yeah. like you only ended up with one beer instead of two beers because the one was making too much money or yeah something. and yeah. he and they gave us the one that wasn't selling like thanks right. well, <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah and that was i was so upset with myself on that and then i thought to myself you know just the fact that we had the event and had all those people out there to learn about you know global conservation force and the great work they do is something yeah. like, and even though it wasn't as much money as I would like to raise when we do events and, you know, donate to an organization, it's still something and it still makes a difference. Like, even though it's not, like I said, it didn't reach my goal. And so that's, you know, I have to remind myself a lot, like, you know, you're doing something like, you know, like you might not have all the time in the world, but, you're still, you can still make a difference, like, just being out there, just caring, just talking to people, so. That's amazing, man. I could talk to you for another five hours, but I'm sure uh, you have things to do. <laughs> uh, but I let's, do let's run, uh, but... yeah, let's wrap up real quick. Uh, maybe tell, I know you already told one with Rusty the Capuchin, but mm -hmm. do you have any other kind of fun, embarrassing stories, uh, maybe with a bird? I know, it's like, that you so could, uh, many tell? embarrassing <laughs> stories. This is probably my most painful one but when so when I was working with the penguins at Central County to clean the window they just had like an 18 inch ledge along the window and then the water was like 10 feet deep let's say so you would just have to go you know a foot and a half is good for a you know fit person let's say sure but in that time I got pregnant, and so I was in the water trying to clean the window with my big giant belly, and I was a big giant pregnant lady, and I'm having trouble staying on the ledge as it is, and um, I had to like kind of go sideways so that I would fit on the ledge, 
And my favorite penguin of all time, Chili, was his name, like the country. Um, he, if he didn't get your attention, he would nip you. And at that time, my belly button had popped out. <laughs> oh, and God. so I apparently was not giving him enough attention because he came up and bit my belly button that was popping out. And I've never, I, and you can't, you know, you can't cuss your own exhibit. And I was just like, oh, oh, ah. And then I started crying. Oh my god. <laughs> Which is so embarrassing. I could not but I imagine. had a coworker with me and he just looked at me. He's like, Are you okay? And I was just like, Because I felt it. I can still, to this day, feel it. Did he let go right to away? Or did he just like. It was a. It wasn't a like twist? he hung on. Gave it a little twist. But though? yeah, like it was yeah. longer than it needed to be, let's say. <laughs> oh, I still. Like, still, literally to this day, I'm like holding my belly button. <laughs> oh, it hurts so bad. And I just like. I had to stop cleaning the window and just get out. And I was just like, I'm sorry. I got to go. <laughs> and there were, yeah. And there was always guests watching at that point, And they were just sitting there looking at me. And I was just like, oh. I, I didn't even think about that angle. Like, I would, I should definitely have an episode where we talk to someone who was pregnant while zookeeping. Because yeah. I can't even, I can't even imagine. There's so many, uh, so many things uh, that happen. <laughs> wow. Um, there was one more thing that I wanted to chat about if you have time. If not, I can oh, yeah. totally skip it. Um, I just wanted to toss it out there just because it's in the news right now. Um, uh, the unfortunate tragedy that happened at Cincinnati Zoo this past weekend when uh, a child got away from their parents and mm -hmm. uh, fell into a moat um, with a gorilla, uh, their male silverback. And unfortunately for the gorilla, the decision was made to go ahead and, uh, you know, um, shoot the grill on site because it was deemed a threat to the child that had fallen in the moat. Yeah. Uh, it's, I know we're as zookeepers, it's all over our Facebook timeline and everything. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a shame for, I don't even know really know where I'm going with this. Honestly, yeah. I just wanted to throw it out there to see if you had any thoughts about that in terms of, um, you know, the zoo's decision to, to make the decision they did make, um, yeah. as a parent yourself, um, you yeah. know, is it, I, I feel like I'm going to make a lot of enemies and this might all get edited out. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. But like, I feel as someone who does not have kids, I feel like it's kind of your responsibility to, you know, at least know what your kids are doing at all times in a situation like that. But I know also at the same time they do, I'm sure they can scoot away and get away and you're, they're out of your, out of your uh, supervision for just a second. And mm -hmm. you know, something bad like that happens. And I mean, I, I guess it, it has, I mean, you have to say it was the right decision because yeah, if not, then the kid would have died. And as unfortunate as to lose yeah. a very rare, endangered animal like a male gorilla, at the same time, obviously, we cannot have a kid getting beaten by a gorilla on yeah. on cameras everywhere. So I don't know. I, I don't really have a specific question. I guess just um, if you have any thoughts like, about that, thoughts? or like how, like how, like what is the answer? Like how how do we prevent things like this happen? You know, you can't like like zoos aren't daycares, and right. you can't really have. I mean, do you do you, do people have to sign a waiver before they come in the zoo? But even that, does that really prevent anything from happening? Like, I've just been the last two days or so, I've been searching like for an answer. Like, how do we fix this problem? Fix it. Uh, yeah. Of, of 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 guests doing maybe not so intelligent things. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I know you've seen it. I've seen it where where people will take and prop their strollers up or hang their kids up over you know <sighs> carnivore yeah. moats, and it's like. What are you doing? Are you looking in the news? And you know, like, but you can't, as zookeepers that see them doing that in the moment, like, 
you can't yell at the guests. You know, mm-hmm. you have you have to maintain some kind of modicum of professionalism. And, yeah, which is so rough. <laughs> which sometimes. is really difficult. But <laughs> I don't know. I guess if you have any thoughts on that situation and. I don't know if there is a solution. I don't know if you have yeah. one. Because if you do, then we would like to hear it so we can I know, implement right? it right away. <laughs> implement it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really interesting. And I feel like I have so many thoughts on the situation because it is an awful situation. And just like any of these tragedies, it's like the it's perfect storm, for, you know, like so just far. awful. Yeah. And uh, from a parent's perspective, yes your kids can get away from you for a second, you know, but I think that from what I've read about the situation, this mother, she might be a great mother, put herself in a, in a bad situation to start with because she had so many kids, you know, too many kids. She She had multiple kids with her and her son. I don't know if they were all her kids, But to me, um, you know, first of all, if you haven't talked to your kids about uh, how to act at a zoo, yeah, how to act and and not even at, uh, yeah, sorry, this is, it gets so (laughs) frustrating, but like that should be things everywhere, honestly, you know, Um, know, (laughs) don't go over barriers. There's a reason there's there, (laughs) they're there (laughs) kind of thing. But, um, you know, she put herself in a bad situation where a kid was able to get away from her, get over a barrier, through a bush, into an exhibit. Like, that's a lot of time, you know? Um, But at the same time, I think the zoo made the right decision. When I saw the videos that came out, at first, I was sick. Like, I was just like, that gorilla was protecting that child like that you know those were the first yeah videos first because he pulled up the pants or whatever well, yeah and... stood him up and you could see like it was just like to me it was just and, like a baby gorilla you know and also or, you know and also i don't know if those, those those gorillas specifically but a lot of the first things that primates learn as in a training program is how to is, trade yeah so i mean i don't know no one's gonna know if there was an opportunity to trade you know quote unquote trade the child yeah. for a you know banana or whatever a piece of fruit mm-hmm. or whatever um, but then the video happened later and it's dragging the kid through the moat. That was the part where I was like, oh and, my gosh. And then there was another video released that had, was a little bit extended where the gorilla had tossed him up like 10 feet in the air. Oh my gosh, was, yeah, I didn't like, see that. threw him up and the kid's just I like, don't think I can watch that. Oh. So, so I think they made the right decision. And, and the thing that gets me is the, the words people use. Like, you know, you see the reports that say, the firefighters say they were, he was violently throwing the child. And I know what they meant, right. but the general public reads that as the gorilla was being aggressive and trying to kill this child, you know, but he wasn't like right. he was doing what a wild, you know, like a wild animal would do basically. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, the public freaking out that added to the situation. So the zoo, unfortunately, made probably the hardest decision that Absolutely. they could make, but the right decision. And because if they would have used a tranquilizer, it would have taken no. minutes yeah. to affect, and it would have made the gorilla very upset very when he upset. got pinged by a dart. And, and he was knows, already upset. And he already had the kid, so yeah. you never know what would happen. So really, yeah. it was the only decision. It really was. And I, I, I really hate to, because I know, I, I mean, I hope so. I hope the mother feels horrible. Yeah. Uh, but I, And I really hate to pile on the mother and parents, but... I don't know. Maybe it's justified. 
I don't know. Like, I, 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 I don't know. Like, because yeah. there's clearly a barrier there. It's difficult. Uh, from look like the kid had to fall, you know, I don't know how far, how deep the moat is, but assuming 12 to 15, 15 yeah, 15 feet. Like, yeah. and also, and I don't know, I might be totally gossiping right now, but I feel like <laughs> I read something that said that the kid had said to the mother, he did, yeah. I want to go in the pool. Mm-hmm. I want to go in the pool. Yeah, it so, was. So, like, that, you should be on alert, yeah. you know? Like, well, and to me, like, the kid that does that so fast, like, so I read different accounts from different people that were there that I've just happened to see, you know? And they were saying that, yes, he said that. They saw him flop over and go. And, yes, it was quick, so the mom might have been distracted. But to me, a kid that can do that that quick and get in there is a kid that probably has done this before. Sure, should have been. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she knows so, that. Yeah. And without hesitation, like, wow. You know, because, well, and I don't know. I guess my daughter grew up with a zookeeper as a mom. Right. So she would be... I mean, even if she puts her foot up on, like, the plants and I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, she would never even do that without hesitating. Right. So it just says to me, like, she should have had, you know, a closer eye on that kid. She should have, you know, if, and that's the thing. And I will say, I think positives can come from this. Absolutely. And I think the most positives I've seen from it are that people are, you know, I I can't imagine there's a parent out there that has not seen this story yet and seen the reaction, not at the zoo, but at the parents and thought to themselves, oh, I better, you know, like keep my kids in line. I should tell my children how to act at the zoo. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think that can be a positive because I think that's what it's going to take. You know, we can't be... We, we're not babysitters. We're right. not watching kids, actually. Right. You know, we're watching, we're watching our fr- animals. We're watching furry you know? kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're taking care of our animals. And the second thing is just the conservation message that can come out from this, which, you know, I see all this like justice for Harambe or whatever. How, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sorry. Harambe, um, I think. Yeah. Harambe. And. And it's been amazing. Like, I just had this moment this morning. Someone posted, actually, it's funny, This the there was an armor leopard that attacked a boy at Cedric County Zoo while I was there. Because the boy went over, under, and up to the exhibit, and then the leopard just reached through and grabbed his face, basically, which is crazy that, that he, you know, survived and everything. Yeah. And that was, once again, the kid had a documented history of misbehaviors. And the only reason he was allowed to go on that field trip was that his parent was supposed to be with him the whole time. It took 12 minutes for that parent to get to him. Unbelievable. Crazy, right? So she posted, this person on my Facebook posted that story and said, send them all back where they belong. And I had this like inner turmoil all morning. You know, should I, should I say something? You never, it's Do I nev- want you, to you, say something? You can never say something on Facebook because it's going to turn into... There's some things you well, just can't argue about. <laughs> right? But so, so I sent her yeah. a message telling a more in-depth story of that story. And, you know, kind of, it was probably a little more harsh than I meant it to be. And my harsh is not actually that harsh on there. So it wasn't like, you idiot, you know. <laughs> it was just like, hey, the wild's a hard place. Like, and you don't know what you're saying. Most of these animals were born in captivity. You can't just... You can't just throw them out there. And then 
I looked at her post and it had been shared twice. And I was like, uh, I have to say something, you know? And so I just posted, I said, hey, I'm so excited to see you're concerned about animal welfare, but there is so much more to the story. And I said, you should know, you know, all these animals were born, not all these, the majority of these animals were born in captivity where they are fed, they have safe, you know, living environment, they are have enriched lives, like, that's all they know, you know, this perfect life, basically, is what I imagine, yeah. you know, or not imagine, that's what I think. They don't have to worry about predators, they don't have to know, mm -hmm. I mean, they don't know how to hunt, they don't know how to take care of themselves, and yeah. it's not, I mean, that's always the de facto answer from the public is, this is going to keep happening as long as we have animals in captivity, but right. you can't just put them back in the you wild. They don't up. know how to be in the wild. And even if they did, they're not afraid of people anymore. So no well, matter where you put them, there's people. Yeah. You know? and, then, and then I said, and that, that's exactly, that's one whole point. And my other point is, and I just said, there, the wild is not a great place anymore, especially for, well, because she posted the armor or leopard. I was like, no, yeah, they, <laughs> you know, there's you, a reason why there's like, I don't even remember, but like less than a hundred. I would of those say less, less than less, hundred. Less than hundred of those left in the wild. Yeah, so. and they did like this last uh, breeding season. They had huge success. They actually had—I don't know if you saw that—but they had a mm -hmm. lot more born recorded, anyways. Um, but that's with like so much work, and I wanted to like go to um, that conservation site. I can't even think of what they're called now, but um, that does the armor leopard stuff, and just like take a picture of all those dudes that support their work and fund their work and how much it takes, you know, and just send it to her and be like, just for six cubs being born and raised in the wild, you know, like it's insane. And, but I just said, you know, the wild's not a pretty place anymore with poachers and la loss of habitat and loss of prey items, you know, cause once again, I was talking about the leopard. Yeah. And so there's more to the story. Let me know if, if you want more information, I'm happy to share it. And anybody on your page can. And she wrote me back for almost immediately. And that was at 5.30 this morning. <laughs> or right before I went into work, you know. She wrote me back immediately and was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like, please send me this conservation stuff. Like, I... And it was funny too because... I read it as her being anti-zoo, but really she was anti-people. Right. You know, okay. she wrote back, she's like, I'm just so upset that gorilla had to die. And I had no idea. Like, please send me this information and tell me all you know. And I was like, wow, could that have gone any better? But like, That's great. then there were all these other people that wrote back on her post that were like, yeah, zoos are great. Like, all this stuff. And it was, That's really instead good of, turn, you know, having this yeah. negative thing out there, it turned into this really positive and it was really great. And I was just like, yes, like that's awesome because you're right. Most of the time it turns super negative real fast and people are tend to be very closed minded about it. And it, it's sad to me because, you know, zoos do so much great work out there and they're not all alike. And that's what I think people need to look into, you know, yeah. is, um, there's a big difference, you know. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I I mean, I know you go to zoos to be educated. Yeah. But at the same time, you would think that the parents would be like, okay, gorillas will hurt you. 
tigers will hurt you. Yeah. Bears will hurt you. You would think that these, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a parent, but I feel like if I was going to take my kids to the zoo, they would know what kind of animals are, I mean, not that they should be running in with deer or into a deer exhibit yeah. either, frolicking <laughs> with the deer. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like, hey, don't go in with the tiger because the tiger will eat you. Like, that yeah. just seems like total common sense to me and... Well, that's, I mean, and, and there's yeah. other reports too. Like I was, th I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today. Uh, you know, just like th I think it was two or three years ago, there was at the Pittsburgh Zoo where oh, the, the the mother held yes. up her kid above the wild dog exhibit, lost her grip, and now that time did not work out. They could not uh, get to the dogs in yeah. time, and the, the the kid didn't make it. So it's not like this. These stories aren't out there. I guess. I mean, I guess you're just not looking for it. I don't know. I mean, yeah. if you're not in our industry, you don't. <clears throat> necessarily they're not always the front page of the zoo, of the news you know yeah and that's that's the hard part because that's what i forget too is that people don't know how bad the wild is like i'm reading about in fact there's not a wild i was gonna say for maybe antarctica understand. maybe antarctica and but even otherwise that, yeah with all the cruises they have down there now it's like crazy and that's people are so disconnected from nature i mean there's that been that kind of i i guess maybe once again i see it but there's been a big movement of connecting with nature again because people are so disconnected. I mean, I think I've met an adult that didn't know their chicken breast that they're eating came from an actual chicken. You know, like that, how, what? Yeah. It even has the same name. Like, <laughs> you know, like, because I know for sure people have not connected beef with cow, which has a different name. So that's, you know, and like, that's what people, you know, and, and I think sometimes keepers, we do such a good job that they don't get that we're not sitting around petting these animals. Right. You know what I mean? And so they think, oh, they're friendly. They live in a zoo. They're pets. You know, these are, we love our animals so much that people, I think, start, you know, seeing, they, they're they thinking, oh, they're pets. They're keeping them in their yard. You know, they give them all their food, just like we do our dog. And we're like, and they don't understand, like, no, they're still wild. <laughs> you know, if our gorilla keepers have never unless it's completely anesthetized, been without some sort of protective barrier between them and a gorilla. Yeah, I mean, you know? I, just just for as an ex other example, every day, well, so our, our mountain lions are, they're not morning cats. They only oh. like to come in only at, <laughs> like the earliest they'll come in is about 9.30, so it's after the zoo opens. Uh, every single day I'm in that exhibit cleaning about 9.30. Hey, are the mountain lions out? Uh, no, 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 ma'am. They'll, they'll be out shortly, but I promise you I would not be in here with them. You know, like they just, mm -hmm. like I, like we, like for us it's second nature, but you know, the general public, whatever you want to call them, they don't realize that, I mean, even at Polars, like even yeah. when I work Polar Bears are like, so, you know, you guys go in, you guys go in and clean with them in there, right? You guys are, you know, in the pool diving or whatever. I'm like, no, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, but it, just to go back to the, the, the chicken story real quick. I have a story about that too. When I was in Peru, I uh, went to Machu Picchu and we stopped in this village and one morning we woke up front of the campsite and they, there was a, a group, you know, butchering a cow for the day. And Americans have a bad rap when it comes to travel. And this person kind of personified mm, that because yeah. she woke up and started yelling and complaining about these people. I don't want to see them butchering the cow. I don't want to see this and that. Meanwhile, for dinner, she had a steak or a hamburger. You know <laughs> what I mean? Say. It's like, this is where your food comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a complete tangent. Anyway. All right. Well, we've talked about a lot. This is actually probably our longest episode yet. To, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I no, didn't no, mention. No, it's great. I think it's going to be great. Um, 
But, uh, you know, just at the very end here, before we close out, I'd like to give the guests just, I know we didn't talk really anything about, you know, the answering the how to how do I get to be a zookeeper question. Yeah. But this, this episode has a lot more stuff going on, so I'm not really concerned about that. But at the end of the episode, I, every, every show, I like to give the guests just, just a floor for the last couple of minutes mm-hmm. just to talk about whatever it is that they maybe want to talk about that they haven't got a chance to maybe want to promote, promote BFR again, you know, tell another story, talk give some advice, whatever it is you'd like to talk about here at the last minute about the zookeeping field, or maybe specifically about what you do, you know, just anything you want to talk about here at the end. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Um, bowling for rhinos. So fun. When is it? Uh, it's June 11th at five thirty. Nope. Sorry. Dang it. <laughs> Let's try that again. What is it bowling for rhinos. <laughs> June 11th. <laughs> goes from six to nine and it's a great time for everyone kids are welcome families um there's a lot of zookeepers there uh but also not zookeepers there um we have the whole kearney mesa bowl the whole alley so all 40 lanes and like i said all a hundred percent of the donations go to saving rhino habitats which, and rhinos, of course, but, um, you know, for those of you that aren't, it, your rhinos aren't your favorite, it also helps primates, reptiles, amphibians, pretty sure there's probably some fish in there that are helping. Everything in the habitat, right? Yeah, so. birds galore, everything. So come out and join us. If not, go to our website, AZAKSD, A-A-Z-K-S-D, Dot org, and you can donate there as well. Oh, and if you want to donate to my page, yeah, and Ann needs one. another trip. Ann <laughs> has been on every trip she needs to go on another one. I'm sure it's the only time she has her own free time with these yeah. trips. Uh, but no, uh, also your local zoo. If you're not from San Diego, you know there's yeah. local zoo uh, um, almost certainly has an exact chapter, and they are quite possibly doing a, a bowling for rhinos event. At, at your zoo so you can contact your zoo and i'm sure you can find out about that and they generally happen in the may to july range uh, across the country mm-hmm. so uh you know if you're not in san diego and you want to go be a part of it please do because like ann said the money 100 percent goes to conservation and you know you can feel good about you, you did your good date good deed for the week or whatever just by going to bfr and, and hanging out and, yeah. and whatever and money having you can fun donate. and you know there's a there's silent auctions you can come home with something of your own um so and we're gonna have face painters this year face painters what? there's a dance and started a dance competition oh yeah and a costume contest and a costume man i forgot contest. about how much it is you're, you're, so you're much stuff change so much stuff man it's for the better so oh, yeah. uh anything else you want to say here at the end um my biggest soapbox lately has been just be an educated consumer in everything pick one thing and make uh look into it whether it be your peanut butter or the fish you eat, seafood you eat. Um, just learn something about it and um, pick the most sustainable route where you know where it comes from um, and you know that you can be comfortable with buying that. And then move once you do that, move on to something else. But it makes such a huge difference in the world if we all just knew, paid attention to what we are purchasing and supporting in our 
buying consumer habits. Yeah, basically. it does make a difference, and there's and there's a million ways to make it easier now. Um, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, if you're, mm -hmm. I think it's on Android too, but uh, if you're, I know for a fact, if you have a an iPhone, you can go on the store and download their. Uh, um, palm oil. Their palm oil application. You can just yeah. put in an item, and it'll tell you like what the status is if it's a if it's a sustainably produced or if it's a bad item. You know, it, you know, mm -hmm. hundred percent killing orangutans. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. just, just, just think about it. Whenever you take that bite oh, of peanut butter, wow. it may be delicious, but just think <laughs> about that orangutan that may not get uh, uh, you know yep. taken care of. So thank you so much, Anne. It was great talking to you. Uh, Thanks for you having know, me. Oh, it's just you, the things you do are just incredible. They really are. You're one of the most incredible people I've ever met, and you, the world's a better place for you being in it. So, oh, thanks. Um, well, we'll wrap up here, guys. Thank you again for listening. Uh, please, as always, if you can, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Um, Stitcher, it's on Stitcher.com as well. That's how we grow the show and how we can get the word out to as many people as possible. So thanks again so much, and uh, hopefully we'll be back next week with another guest. Thanks for listening to Zookeeper Stories. And Nitz, wait, hold on. Oh. <laughs> Nutsen or Nutsen, because I never know. Nutsen. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's no, start. That was good. <laughs>